Chapter Seven, Part Two of Miss Map. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jessica Louise. Miss Map by E. F. Benson. Chapter Seven, Part Two. Though Tilling, with all its perspicacity, could not have known it, the intuitive reader will certainly have perceived that Miss Mapp's party for Wednesday night had, so to speak, further irons in its fire. It had originally been a bribe to Susan Poppet in order to induce her to spread broadcast that that ridiculous rumor, whoever had launched it, had been promptly denied by the person whom it most immediately concerned. It served a second purpose in showing that Miss Mapp was too high above the mire of scandal, however interesting, to know or care who might happen to be wallowing in it, and for this reason she asked everybody who had done so. Such loftiness of soul had earned her an amazing bonus, for it had induced those who sat in the seat of the scoffers before to come hastily off and join the thin but unwavering ranks of the true believers, who up till then had consisted only of Susan and Mr. Wise. Frankly, so blessed a conclusion had never occurred to Miss Mapp. It was one of those unexpected rewards that fall like ripe plums into the lap of the upright. By denying a rumor, she had got everybody to believe it, and when on Wednesday morning she went out to get the chocolate cakes which were so useful in allaying the appetites of the guests, she encountered no broken conversations and gleeful smiles, but sidelong glances of respectful envy. But what Tilling did not and could not know was this. The first of the autumn after-dinner bridge parties was destined to look on the famous tea-gown of Kingfisher Blue as designed for Mrs. Trout. No doubt other ladies would have hurried up their new gowns, or at least have camouflaged their old ones, in honor of the annual inauguration of Evening Bridge, but Miss Mapp had no misgivings about being outshone. And once again here she felt that luck waited on merit, for though when she dressed that evening she found she had not anticipated that artificial light would cast a somewhat pale, though not ghastly, reflection from the vibrant blue on to her features, similar in effect to but not so marked as the light that shines on the faces of those who lean over the burning brandy and raisins of snapdragons this interesting pallor seemed very aptly to bear witness to all that she had gone through she did not look ill she was satisfied as to that she looked gorgeous and a little wan the bridge tables were not set out in the garden room which entailed a scurry over damp gravel on a black windy night but in the little square parlour above her dining-room, where Withers, in the intervals of admitting her guests, was laying out plates of sandwiches and the chocolate cakes, reinforced when the interval for refreshments came with hot soup, whiskey, and siphons, and a jug of cup, prepared according to an ancestral and economical recipe, which Miss Mapp had taken a great deal of trouble about. A single bottle of white wine, with suitable additions of ginger, nutmeg, herbs, and soda-water, was the mother of a gallon of a drink that seemed aflame with fiery and probably spirituous ingredients. Guests were very careful how they partook of it, so stimulating it seemed. Miss Mapp was reading a book on gardening upside down, she had taken it up rather hurriedly, when the poppets arrived, and sprang to her feet with a pretty cry at being so unexpectedly but delightfully disturbed. "'Susan, Isabel,' she said, 
Lovely of you to have come. I was reading about flowers, making plans for next year. She saw the four eyes riveted to her dress. Susan looked quite shabby in comparison, and Isabel did not look anything at all. "'My dear, too lovely,' said Mrs. Poppet slowly. Miss Mapp looked brightly about, as if wondering what was too lovely. At last she guessed. "'Oh, my new frock,' she said. "'Do you like it, dear?' "'How sweet of you. It's just a little nothing that I talked over with that nice Miss Greel in the high street.' We put our heads together and invented something quite cheap and simple. And here's Evie and the dear Padre, so kind of you to look in. Four more eyes were riveted on it. Enticed you out just once, Padre, went on Miss Mapp. So sweet of you to spare an evening. And here's Major Benji and Captain Puffin. Well, that's nice. This was really tremendous of Miss Mapp. Here she was meeting without embarrassment or awkwardness the two who, if the duel had not been averted, would have risked their very lives over some dispute concerning her. Everybody else, naturally, was rather taken aback for the moment at this situation, so deeply dyed in the dramatic. Should either of the gladiators have heard that it was the Padre who undoubtedly had spread the rumor concerning their hostess, Mrs. Poppet was afraid that even his cloth might not protect him. But no such deplorable calamity occurred, and only four more eyes were riveted to the kingfisher blue. "'Upon my word,' said the Major, "'I never saw anything more beautiful than that gown, Miss Elizabeth. Straight from Paris, eh? Paris and every line of it.' "'Oh, Major Benji,' said Elizabeth, "'you're just making fun of me in my simple little frock. I'm getting quite shy. Just a bit of old stuff that I had, but so nice of you to like it. I wonder where Diva is.' We shall have to scold her for being late. Ah, she shan't be scolded. Diva, darling. The endearing word froze on Miss Mapp's lips as she turned deadly white. In the doorway, in equal fury and dismay, stood Diva, dressed in precisely the same staggeringly lovely costume as her hostess. Had Diva and Miss Greel put their heads together, too? Had Diva got a bit of old stuff? Miss Mapp pulled herself together first, and moistened her dry lips. "'So sweet of you to look in, dear,' she said. "'Shall we cut?' Naturally, the malice of cards decreed that Miss Mapp and Diva should sit next to each other as adversaries at the same table, and the combined effect of two lots of kingfisher blue was blinding. Complete silence on every subject connected, however remotely, with dress was, of course, the only line for correct diplomacy to pursue, but then— Major Benji was not diplomatic, only gallant. "'Never saw such stunning gowns, eh, Padre?' he said. "'Dear me, they are very much alike, too, aren't they? pair of exquisite sisters.' It would be hard to say which of the two found this speech the more provocative of rage, for while Diva was four years younger than Miss Mapp, Miss Mapp was four inches taller than Diva. She cut the cards to her sister with a hand that trembled so much that she had to do it again and Diva could scarcely deal. Mr. Wise frankly confessed the next day, when at one o'clock Elizabeth found herself the first arrival at his house, that he had been very self-indulgent. "'I've given myself a treat, dear Miss Mapp,' he said. "'I've asked three entrancing ladies to share my humble meal with me, and have provided—is it not shocking of me?—nobody else to meet them. Your pardon, dear lady, for my greediness.' Now this was admirably done. Elizabeth knew very well why two out of the three men in Tilling had not been asked. Very gratifying, the reason was. 
and with the true refinement of which Mr. Wise was so amply possessed, here he was taking all the blame on himself and putting it so prettily. She bestowed her widest smile on him. "'Oh, Mr. Wise,' she said, "'we shall all quarrel over you.' Not until Miss Mapp had spoken did she perceive how subtle her words were. They seemed to bracket herself and Mr. Wise together. All the men, two out of the three at any rate, had been quarrelling over her, and now there seemed a very fair prospect of three of the women quarrelling over Mr. Wise. Without being in the least effeminate, Mr. Wise this morning looked rather like a modern troubadour. He had a velveteen coat on, a soft, fluffy, mushy tie which looked as if made of shirley poppies, very neat knickerbockers, brown stockings with blobs like the fruit of plane trees, dependent from elaborate tops, and shoes with a cascade of leather frilling covering the laces. He might almost equally well be about to play golf over putting holes in the lawn as the guitar. He made a gesture of polished, polite dissent, not contradicting, yet hardly accepting this tribute, remitting it perhaps just as the king, when he enters the city of London, touches the sword of the Lord Mayor and tells him to keep it. "'So pleasant to be in Tilling again,' he said. "'We shall have a cosy, busy winter, I hope. You, I know, Miss Mapp, are always busy.' "'The day is never long enough for me,' said Elizabeth enthusiastically. What with my household duties in the morning, in my garden, and our pleasant little gatherings, it is always bedtime too soon. I want to read a great deal this winter, too. Diva, at the sight of whom Elizabeth had to make a strong effort of self-control, here came in, together with Mrs. Poppet, and the party was complete. Elizabeth would have been willing to bet that, in spite of the warmness of the morning, Susan would have on her sable coat, and though technically she would have lost, she more than won morally, for Mr. Wise's repeated speeches about his greediness were hardly out of his mouth when she discovered that she had left her handkerchief in the pocket of her sable coat, which she had put over the back of a conspicuous chair in the hall. Figgis, however, came in at the moment to say that lunch was ready, and she delayed them all very much by a long, ineffectual search for it, during which Figgis, with much visible effort, held up the sable coat so that it was displayed to the utmost advantage. And then, only fancy, Susan discovered that it was in her sable muff all the time. All three ladies were on tenterhooks of anxiety as to who was to be placed on Mr. Wise's right, who on his left, and who would be given only the place between two other women. But his tact was equal to anything. "'Miss Mapp,' he said, "'will you honour me by taking the head of my table and be hostess for me? Only I must have that vase of flowers removed. Figgis, I can look at my flowers when Miss Mapp is not here. Now, what have we got for breakfast? Lunch, I should say.' The macaroni which Mr. Wise had brought back with him from Naples naturally led on to Italian subjects, and the general scepticism about the Contessa di Faraglione had a staggering blow dealt it. "'My sister,' began Mr. Wise, and by a swift sucking motion Diva drew into her mouth several serpents of dependent macaroni in order to be able to listen better without this agitating distraction. "'My sister, I hope, will come to England this winter and spend several weeks with me sensation. "'And the Count?' asked Diva, having swallowed the serpents. "'I fear not. Cecco, Francesco, you know, is a great stay-at-home. Amelia is looking forward very much to seeing Tilling. I shall insist on her making a long stay here before she visits our relations at Whitchurch.' 
Elizabeth found herself reserving judgment. She would believe in the Contessa Faraglione, no one more firmly, when she saw her, and had reasonable proofs of her identity. Delightful, she said, abandoning with regret the fruitless pursuit with a fork of the few last serpents that writhed on her plate. What an addition to our society! We shall all do our best to spoil her, Mr. Wise. When do you expect her? Early in December. You must be very kind to her, dear ladies. She's an insatiable bridge player. She's heard much of the great players she will meet here. That decided Mrs. Poppet. She would join the correspondence class conducted by Little Slam in Cozy Corner. Little Slam, for the sum of two guineas, payable in advance, engaged to make first-class players of anyone with normal intelligence. Diva's mind flew off to the subject of dress, and the thought of the awful tragedy concerning the tea-gown of Kingfisher Blue, combined with the endive salad, gave a wry twist to her mouth for a moment. "'I, as you know,' continued Mr. Wise, "'am no hand at bridge.' "'Oh, Mr. Wise, you play beautifully,' interpolated Elizabeth. "'Too flattering of you, Miss Mapp. "'But Amelia and Checo do not agree with you. "'I am never allowed to play when I am at the Villa Faraglione, "'unless a table cannot be made up without me. "'But I shall look forward to seeing many well-contested games.' "'The quails and the figs had come from Capri, "'and Miss Mapp, greedily devouring each in turn, "'was so much incensed by the information "'that she had elicited about them, "'that, though she joined in the general lobgesang, she was tempted to inquire whether the ice had not been brought from the South Pole by some Antarctic expedition. Her mind was not, like poor Diva's, taken up with obstinate questionings about the Kingfisher Blue Tea Gown, for she had already determined what she was going to do about it. Naturally, it was impossible to contemplate fresh encounters like that of last night, but another gown, Crimson Lake, the color of Mrs. Trout's toilet for the second evening of the Duke of Hampshire's visit, as Vogue informed her, had completely annihilated Newport with its splendor. She had already consulted Miss Greel about it, who said that if the Kingfisher Blue was bleached first, the dye of Crimson Lake would be brilliant and pure. The thought of that, and the fact that Miss Greel's lips were so professionally sealed, made her able to take Diva's arm as they strolled about the garden afterwards. The way in which both Diva and Susan had made up to Mr. Wise during lunch was really very shocking, though it did not surprise Miss Mapp, but she supposed their heads had been turned by the prospect of playing bridge with a countess. Luckily, she expected nothing of either of them, so their conduct was in no way a blow or a disappointment to her. This companionship with Diva was rather prolonged, for the adhesive Susan, staggering about in her sables, clung close to their host and simulated a clumsy interest in chrysanthemums, and whatever the other two did maneuvered herself into a strong position between them and Mr. Wise, from which, operating on interior lines, she could cut off either assailant. More depressing yet, and throwing a sad new light on his character, Mr. Wise seemed to appreciate rather than resent the appropriation of himself, and instead of making a sortie through the beleaguering sables, would beg Diva and Elizabeth, who were so fond of fuchsias and knew about them so well, to put their heads together over an afflicted bed of these flowers in quite another part of the garden, and tell him what was the best treatment for their anemic condition. Pleasant and proper, though it was to each of them that Mr. Wise should pay so little attention to the other, it was bitter as the endive salad to both that he should tolerate, if not enjoy, the companionship 
which the forwardness of Susan forced on him, and while they absently stared at the fuchsias, the fire kindled, and Elizabeth spake with her tongue. "'How very plain poor Susan looks to-day,' she said. "'Such a colour! Though, to be sure, I attribute that more to what she ate and drank than to anything else. "'Crimson! Oh, these poor fuchsias! I think I should throw them away!' The common antagonism Diva felt had drawn her and Elizabeth into the most cordial of understandings. For the moment she felt nothing but enthusiastic sympathy with Elizabeth, in spite of her kingfisher blue gown. What on earth, in parenthesis, was she to do with hers? She could not give it to Janet. It was impossible to contemplate the idea of Janet walking about the high street in a tea-gown of kingfisher blue just in order to thwart Elizabeth. Mr. Wise seems taken with her said Diva. How can he? Rather a snob. M.B.E. She's always popping in here. Saw her yesterday going round the corner of the street. What time, dear? asked Elizabeth, nosing the scent. Middle of the morning. And I saw her in the afternoon, said Elizabeth. That great lumbering Rolls Royce went tacking and skittering around the corner below my garden room. Was she in it? asked Diva. This appeared rather a slur on Elizabeth's reliability and observation. "'No, darling, she was sitting on the top,' she said, taking the edge out the sarcasm in case Diva had not intended to be critical, by a little laugh. Diva drew the conclusion that Elizabeth had actually seen her inside. "'Think it's serious?' she said. "'Think he'll marry her?' The idea, of course, repellent and odious as it was, had occurred to Elizabeth, so she instantly denied it. "'Oh, you busy little matchmaker,' she said brightly. "'Such an idea never entered my head. "'You shouldn't make such fun of dear Susan. "'Come, dear, I can't look at fuchsias any more. "'I must be getting home and must say good-bye, "'a reservoir, rather, to Mr. Wise, "'if Susan will allow me to get a word in edgeways.' "'Susan seemed delighted to let Miss Mapp get this particular word in edgewise, "'and after a little speech from Mr. Wise, in which he said that he would not dream of allowing them to go yet, "'and immediately afterwards shook hands warmly with both of them, "'hoping that the reservoir would be a very small one, "'the two were forced to leave the artful Susan in possession of the field. "'It all looked rather black.' Miss Mapp's vivid imagination altogether failed to picture what Tilling would be like if Susan succeeded in becoming Mrs. Wise and the sister-in-law of a countess, and she sat down in her garden-room and closed her eyes for a moment, in order to concentrate her power of figuring the situation. What dreadful people these climbers were! How swiftly they swarmed up the social ladder with their Rolls Royces and their red-currant fool and their sables! A few weeks ago, she herself had never asked Susan into her house, while the very first time she came she unloosed the sluices of the store cupboard, and now, owing to the necessity of getting her aid in stopping that mischievous rumor, which she herself had been so careful to set on foot, regarding the cause of the duel, Miss Mapp had been positively obliged to flatter and to Susan her and if Diva's awful surmise proved to be well-founded, Susan would be in position to patronize them all and talk about counts and countesses with the same air of unconcern as Mr. Wise. She would be bidden to the Villa Faraglione, she would play bridge with Cecco and Emilia, and she would visit the Wises of Whitchurch. What was to be done? She might head another movement to put Mr. Wise in his proper place. 
this if successful would have the agreeable result of pulling down susan a rung or two should she carry out her design but the failure of the last attempt and mr wise's eminence did not argue well for any further manoeuvre of this kind or should she poison mr wise's mind with regard to susan or was she herself costlessly agitated or curiosity rushed like a devastating tornado across miss mapp's mind rooting up all other growths buffeting her with the necessity of knowing what the two whom she had been forced to leave in the garden were doing now and snatching up her opera glasses she glided upstairs and let herself out through the trap-door on the roof she did not remember if it was possible to see mr wise's garden or any part of it from that watch-tower but there was a chance not a glimpse of it was visible it lay quite hidden behind the red brick wall which bounded it and not a chrysanthemum or a fuchsia could she see but her blood froze as without putting the glasses down she ran her eye over such part of the house wall as rose above the obstruction in his drawing-room window on the first floor were seated two figures susan had taken her sables off it was as if she intended remaining there for ever or at least for tea end of chapter seven recording by jessica louise st paul minnesota